This podcast is involving a person who created history at the Richmond Football Club because he coached Richmond, the Richmond under-19s, to four consecutive premierships. Then he came back a couple of years later and coached them to a fifth premiership, Ray Slug Jordan. This conversation is just an, a barrel of excitement, a barrel of laughs. He's such an intriguing character, and if you if you knew a little bit about Ray, you would know that he had the propensity to swear, um, and that's certainly the case at times in this interview. Um, so I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ray Jordan. Interview with Ray Slug Jordan. The date is Friday, June the 23rd, 2006. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. Thank you, firstly, Ray, for allowing me to have a chat with you. All right, Ray. I appreciate that very much. Can I just ask, I always ask everyone to start their interview, can you tell me what your full, full name is? Raymond Clarence. The name Clarence, where did that come from? Oh, that's my father, he was Clary Jordan. He, was, uh, he played a few games for Richmond, he played in the, he was what they call a 20th man in, in the 43 or something, I don't know what year, premiership. Right, okay. And Jack Dyer played or anyway. And uh, he gave it up because he got a job with you know, when people didn't have good, didn't have work. Yeah. And he went, he used to ride a bike from Richmond down to uh, Black Rock to work as a uh, on the roads and uh, he couldn't afford to get injured you know sure. at Richmond so he, he gave up playing he's in that famous book of you know of uh, people who played a right. game of football so you can look it up so he, he finished his career at Richmond to for, for, for that job yeah yeah and then things got a bit easier and he went back coaching it Burnley. Right. Anyway, that that's but he was an all round cricketer, golfer, you know, he could turn his hand to anything and um, he used to take me out, you know, when I was young and I used we used to go down to East Melbourne mm. golf links and I used to throw the clubs in the creek and uh, he used to walk up saying, I'm not playing with you next week but we always Got down there. You know. Did he talk much about his career too? No. Uh, I mean, he played in the mirror, as you said, with Dyer and some mm. great names, but did he ever. No, he went to war. So he, I mean, most of those people went to war, yeah. you know, and uh, he went to. Uh, he went up through the islands, you know, and um, then he came back, and of course, I can't remember the years he came back, yeah. but I was. I went five, six, seven. I don't know. I can't remember. And in the war, was he, uh, was he an airman? Or? Yeah, yeah. No, he never flew. Right. Like he just used to work on the planes. He yep. might, might have swept up the hangars. I don't know. Yeah. Wasn't of interest to me in those days. So is it fair to say, Ray, that you grew up in Richmond? Born and bred, Bennett Street, Richmond. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I used to go past the Richmond football ground in those days and I I really I love football but I was really into cricket and I used to go past there thinking not that I play a league game of football I just wanted to represent Richmond on the cricket ground on the punt road over with the they used to have those caps black and yellow caps and they were quartered you know and I used to think That'd be fantastic, and you know, I went down there. Oh, they got and died me down there. They played for Richmond Citizens. You know, gosh, it's Paddock now. Well, that was all footy, uh, cricket grounds, and I used to play with there with Teddy Langley, who played for Richmond, and a number of other guys, and uh, they invited me over to Richmond. And, uh, I played the thirds, and a fellow called Kevin Shannon. And he used to bowl these tweakers out the back of me. I didn't know where they were going. Oh, you never knew where they were going. Guys could run down the track and 
five yards out and I was still looking for the ball, you know, it was dreadful. And then Robbie Shearer broke his arm. No, 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 no. A fella was playing in the second, went to Collingwood to get a game in the first. They moved me up and I got my dream of walking onto the front road oval under the Billy King, anyway, yeah, Billy King, the King Brothers, you know, in Richmond, and they were famous, Sport King was, anyway, I played under him, and then Robbie Shearer broke an arm, mm. he was a, well, he was a, he looked suave and he looked fantastic, and I thought, shit, he's a little fat, dumpy, wicketkeeper, you know, what chairs like it. So he broke an arm playing football. He was a pretty good player. Anyway, he broke an arm and I got a game for Richmond first with Doug Rink and uh, Bill Johnston. They'd come back from overseas. Oh, 48. Oh, no. But anyway, I got a game. And I played half a dozen games and I went, had to go into national service. Right. Went in national service, and my mother and father were, were living in Malvern. Because I hadn't played enough years at Richmond, they went to live in Carlton, and they claimed me, Carlton, which you could do in those days. And I played then 10 years, 11 years at Carlton. And I was playing football at Block, down the Gippsland, and uh, Played a couple of years down there, um, and then I went to Coburg because you know I didn't have to travel down the country. So I went to Coburg and uh, became captain. Won a few bets in Ferris, became captain, and in 1961, going back a long time now, 61. Graham Richmond came to me. Oh, I'd broken arm, that's right. And I'd made the state side. Right, that's right. 59, 60. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 61 or thereabouts, I broke an arm. And I was in the... I'll never forget it. I was in the dressing room getting my arm put into a sling to go around and have an X-ray and everything. And my father came in and he said... Uh, You know, I don't give you advice, you know. We don't talk about this or that. And I thought, geez, I wish that was true. Because he used to wait outside the room of the morning, you know, on Sunday morning. Anyway, you could hear him walking up and down the aisle or the corridor waiting for me to come out. Anyway, he, he said, if you ever play football again, I'll put you in the ass. And Graham Richmond came at me. He said, Look, um, they haven't commanded the cricket and what have you, and I'm going to be secretary of the Richmond Footy Club. I said, How are you going to do that? And on, on talks on, with your old man, I tell this story too. Um, that, so gonna, I said, Where are you going to do that? He said, That's all right, I've got it got the numbers game, I've been taught by a strong Labour guy, and your old man couldn't think of his name, and I couldn't think of his name either. But he said, I've been taught the numbers game and whatever you And he rang me up after the election, he said, I'm secretary, I want you to come and coach the under-19s. And it was good out for me because I didn't know whether the girl played football again or... Anyway, I said, all right. So I went down there and uh, he used to go around with Jack Dodd to all the country areas, you know. Barrett just tells a good story about when he went to Wodonga to sign Barry and Barry's players had Ballarat. Everyone in Wodonga knew Jack was in town. So they all cornered Jack, you know, and asked him questions. Graham brought Jack up to Barry's place, which was on a farm, just out of Wodonga. And Graham, you know, Jesus, 
for us today, you know, you, you, what we're needing and all that jazz. And, it, and he used to take me around locally, you know, we used to go around to areas that weren't even touched, Eltham and these places in those days. And we'd walk in the dark, you know, in the winter. And Graham would go in and he'd say, Ah, oh, and he used to suss out who was in charge of the family, the mother or the father. He was the mother. Oh, God, he said, you got the chrysanthemums. And I thought, how do you know they were chrysanthemums? Bloody pitch black outside, you couldn't see any. Jesus, you got the chrysanthemums. And she used to either, whatever she used to say, and Graham and all this conversation with her. And the kid and the father would be over there, and he wouldn't say a word to the kid or the father. And I'd be sitting there, and every time he paused for a break, I'd say, and there you go, Mr. Grubbo, uh, what do you do for work? And Mr. Grubbo would get halfway through telling me, Graham would chime in again, take over, you know. And the kid's still sitting there. And at the end, he'd say, now, listen, Coco, we've heard you can play. We'd like you to come down to Tigerland. The kid either said yes or no, don't know. Anyway, that was his that was his approach. And Graham used to say to me, and hey, we're gonna do this quick, alright? Which would have been down too long for too long and we're gonna do it quick. We don't wanna be, you know, six, seven years, you know, trying to get on the final. We wanna do it quick. So we used to play these kids on the Thursday, have a look at them. They weren't in our area or anything like that, you know. And I got caught in 60, I think it was 66. We won our last six, seven pretty easy. Hunt, full forward, hunt. So up forward. Coming, Graham gone. Oh, they were, we were good line up. We were starting to put it together and then we, oh, I said, South Melbourne found out there was a, we played a, a legal player called Michael Lockwell, I think he was, or Frankie Lockwell, one or the other, I think it was Michael. And he played down at Sale. There was a Catholic college down there and they used to play in the under 18s. And in those days, you had to get a clearance for the kid to come and or a permit, they called it, to come up and play a game. Oh, that's too much worry. Plus the fact they used to hold you to ransom some of these country clubs, you know, uh, money or chalk rap or whatever. Grant cut that out pretty easy. We used to bring the kid up and then we'd assess him. And he looks good, tall, quick enough. Yeah, kicks ball well. Rather than having trade, we used to play. And we used to play guys under different names, you know. One guy that we played in the under 17s. And we were bringing these top players, you know, under 17s. We went to the, I forget what the medal was called, but we went to the Graham and I, and this kid was in front with two games to go. And Graham said, Jesus, do you know where he lives? He said, oh, they haven't got a clue. He said, I think we're in trouble. And he got beat. Got beat the last go. And we both said, oh, thank you. Graham said, thank Christ for that. Anyway, uh, having a little bit no, it didn't. When I, yeah, it did happen with Noel Judkins, who, you know, uh, you would know, and, and Frankie DiMartino. Now, Frankie's sick and tired of hearing about it, but we come the last game, we're playing at Fitzroy at Brunswick Street Oval, and Graham said, geez, we're going to have to have a look at DiMartino on that September on the far big round final. Oh, well, we'll game short. Yeah, you had to play three. Yeah, three um, under, under 19 games. 
to be able to be what select for the reserves. No, 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 to play in the under 19 finals. Right, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, there's one game short. And they were playing St. Pat's Ballarat that day. Oh, right, the pressure, yeah. So we thought, uh, well, you had to put names on a list, you know? So I said to Noel Judkins, now, Juddy, you're not playing today, we've got Dimitina in. Right? So Juddy got, got the drift, and uh, on the little, well, on the Fitzroy ground was muddy, and it was right there, Juddy's guy, up and he was drawn, he knew the game. And in today's stats, mine, he, he would have handled the ball 40 times, you know? He was just, and he knew the umpire, and we didn't know that. And the umpire came in after the game, he said to Juddy, I'm gonna give, gonna give, I was gonna give you three votes, your best on the ground, but I couldn't find your name. And Juddy said, well, yeah, it's a little bit, yeah, I'll tell you about it later. So when Morris Medal it was, when they came out, Dimitina got three votes in the last game and Juddy missed, got beat by one. For the Morris Medal. For the Morris, and he blamed me and Goodness. still to this day he blames me. But it did happen, you know, I mean, I, we can't dodge it. Another club did that too? Oh, I don't know about other clubs, we yeah. weren't worried about that. We were only worried about what Richmond, Graham and, oh, we... Oh, we did. Are you ever, can you tell me what, what, can you describe what kind of coach you were? For those, me? Yeah, for those who never coached by you, can you explain to me what sort of, what your style was? Well, yeah, strong disciplinarian. I mean, once you hit the footy field, you had to be disciplined to do the right thing and kick, and I used to drag guys off who couldn't cop the format of how to play the game. So where'd you get your, where'd you get your, your, your strong discipline style from? Uh, I think just, just myself, you know, I was brought up in football and cricket. When you play those at a certain level, you have to be disciplined and do right, be be spot on with what you, you did. You said before you broke your arm. Yeah. Was that, how did that come about? Oh, fella, just, just it was simple. Fella elbow, I run past him and he, his elbow was coming back and he just broke my arm. Just, wow. Just, just during a wee match. Yeah, and, and the fella came out, the trainer in those days came out and he said, can you do that? And I said, yeah, and when I turned my arm, the bone must have lined up and shook my hand. He said, I was and He said, oh, that's fantastic. And then I said to Doug Bigelow, who was coach, just let me go to the forward pocket. Of course, I went like that and the bone went away from the alignment and you could feel it. And it wasn't much pain, I don't think. Anyway, I went off after that. That's when I went in the dressing room. My father gave me that great advice. You played for the Richmond Thirds from 
said uh, you can't train on the, you can't run laps on the, the seniors are training. I said, yeah, I know that. He said, get off the ground. So he sent me off the ground. I went in and there was a couple of guys for block. And they approached me. Halfway through the year was. And they said, we'd like you to come down. So I went down there for a certain amount of money, which was good in those days. And the next year, Coburg, I played a couple of practice. Can't win the finals in the cricket. And I couldn't go and play in practice games. So Coburg were playing practice games with Barney Jones, Dean Jones' father. said to me, why don't you come up and play? We've got a practice game. So I went up there. It went all right. Coburg started you know, be interested me. And I said, well, you're going to have to see Lock get a clearance. Uh, up with the ante a bit at Lock. I was quite happy. And I bought a car with the money. Uh, a prefect, a little prefect. And they said, if you bring down a player and say, we'll fill you, we'll fill your car with petrol, you know, each Saturday you come. Well, that sounds a good deal. So I did that. I was working at the Melbourne City Council Electric Supply in those days, which has just been written up in the age of people wanting to demolish. It's been 25 years since anyone... Anyway, I'm getting off the track. And I... Uh, and I used to drive home, and halfway through the year... Uh, started to drive me mad all the travelling. So the next year I went up to Cape and started. You said that you were a strong discipline coach. Yeah, well, that, and, I, and I developed a... I used to try and say, don't worry about how I say it. I used to be strong. Worry about what I'm saying. But... As you know, young fellas used to laugh and say, yeah, and I used to this one. We left a guy out of a, one of our friends. We won the flag in 67, 68, 69, 70, that's right. And in one of the years, I can't remember which, we left a guy out because his hair was too long. He wouldn't get a haircut. He was captain, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't want to get a haircut. So I said, well, you... If you don't have a cut Saturday, when you come to the game, I'm not going to play it. And they sort of took me right to the hilt and I dropped him, I left him out. Well, all of a sudden that, uh, that sparked up a few people. Just hang on, excuse me. I'll stop it. I can't, so don't worry about it. I'll ask you about the guy with the long hair again shortly, but you were telling the story about Dad got hit in the hip. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we told Jack, Graham and I had said to Jack, geez, we've got a really good player here. He's mad Richmond and he's born and bred Richmond and all that, Jack. And Jack said, oh, I'll come down and see him because he's broadcasting football on that day. And we were playing the curtain raiser, curtain, curtain raisers, the under-19s, you know, in the finals. So Jack came down and, they balled the ball up and there was a flurry of players and next thing we look and Kevin Bartlett's on the ground. What the hell's going on? So they ran out and got a stretch and dragged him off and went up the race and, and Jack said to Graham, Is that the guy? Graham said, Yeah. He said, God, what a waste of bloody Saturday it is for me now, you know? And then he went in and saw Kevin Bartlett and, uh... Well, that was it. So we can probably put it towards yourself, that you can write it in the same time. Well, Graham and I did. You know, Graham was very strong with Jack. I mean, he used to prop Jack up as the living legend, That's which right. he was, of Richmond. And, uh, everyone knew his name. Sure. So that's the reason why I'm here. So when you were growing up, did you have a, was there a football hero that you looked up to? I know, yeah. I know Cricket was more your style back then. Ray Stokes. Yeah, little, Ray Stokes. 
centre man used to kick drop punts out of the muddy centre and, and I, I saw old Gak play with his knee bandages and he got 35 yards out from goal and never made the distance. I mean, he was, he was gone in those days. He was gone. But my old man told me that he was just fantastic how quick he was and he could really play. But there again, when you don't see these people and you get it described here, it doesn't mean very much. Do you think he might be the most successful coach in the history? Oh. I mean, you're talking about Premiership wise, he was 67, 68, 69, 70. Yeah, and then I went to South Africa with the cricket, yeah. Indian South Africa. Did you, did you come back to Richmond at all in his first after that? Yeah, I came back, and that year I came back in 1970, wait, 71, 71. Joe and I were starting up with the Ted Whitten panel, and uh, and they approached me to be a panel member, and I thought, oh, I'll just... And I said, you'll have to see my type of manager accountant in those days was Ray Dunn. So the, Ray got me an enormous, terrific contract, you know? And they were doing Friday night shows, which I was a panel member. And Saturdays I'd call the third game, when, and they had to put a... a uh, uh, a fella who used to read the news, they had to put him with me to call the game because that would take the raspiness of my voice off the listeners. I used to call the third game by myself. And then they'd have a show on Saturday night. Um, you call the third? No, no, the Senior game. Yeah, the third game. Yeah. Uh, Whitten and Butch Carlton called the main game. Wes Lofts and Twinkle Dwyer called the second game. When you say the second game, you mean like around the ground? Yeah, yeah, what they considered was second choice. Yeah, and I called the third choice. And had a year of that, but I used to miss it. I missed the coaching, I missed the involvement of players and everything like that. Um, Graham came and said, look, I'd like, do you reckon you could come back? I said, well, funny, you know, yeah, yeah. So I went back, I think in 72, and fellas like um, Graham Teasdale was there then. We got him from Charlton couple of other guys and we would just kick we were kicking out different people we thought wasn't going to benefit Richmond Football Club. One was Greg Miller. In my first year Brian KG he can play but he's skinny and we haven't got time to build him up. So I'd piss him off. So I went and said to Greg, look but it didn't worry Greg because he went down his father would, I'm not too sure whether it was Alan Miller, but he, he went down to South, his father played down there, and he played, I don't know, you can look it up, 60 or 70 games. And I knew he could play, he was very smart, but as Brad said, we didn't have time to build him up. And Emmett Dunn came, he was 15, might have come 73. And, because uh, I lose track of those years, I'm going back a few. But he just had fantastic character about him, Emmett. So we, I made him captain at 15. I mean, he, he just had fantastic. Uh, I've got a photo in my room there. He couldn't run backwards. He had no balance properly. He had no strength in his leg. So instead of running forward round the laps, I used to make him run backwards to improve his strength and therefore he was able to double back but he was, oh, he had a brain that was far ahead of his body, you know. Well, that shows by making him captain. Yeah, wow. in 73 we won the final. We won the premiership. Every side won the premiership, as you would know. Where was that played at? Your match? Yeah, it was played at the MCG, Curtin, Curtin, Razor. 
And, Did uh, you just watch the rest of the matches? Well, the second was certainties. Really? Ah, oh, they were the biggest certainty, Johnny Nick coach. Biggest certainties of all time. And I can remember Don Jolly and a few people got me and took me in the umpire's room and had a few drinks and I missed the second game. Then got out to see the main game. But it's interesting, in 73, or 70, we started up the Essex Heights Football Club. Did you start that? Well... What was your role? Well, I, I came up with the idea, because I used to go out and see these kids. We had no way of getting control of them, yeah. So we need the club, and Essex Heights weren't travelling, so Ray Dunn and Graham and that went out protested sites and they said, yeah, well, be sponsored by the Richmond Football Club. Yeah. So we used to channel all these real good kids in. They weren't in our area, interstate, country. And they had a red-hot side. Oh, they did have a red-hot side. And um, I used to go down and see them play. And I knew where they were from and I knew they weren't our players, but everyone suspected they were our player because they were coming through the Richmond Essex Heights. So we didn't have any worry. So we, and, and they were biggest certainty of all time too that day. And uh, we won the, we all won the flag. And you know where the celebration was? And Graham was, he was as miserable as a uh, miserable man, Graham. You know where we celebrated? Over at the Olympic Park dog track on trestle tables with paper as the, as the, as the... No, the, the white paper on the trestle tables. That's where we celebrated. I mean, a bit different than later on, of course. Was that just for the other night or for everyone? For everyone. God, there's a big night there, right? Well, it was, but not a lot of people... Yeah, it was a big night, but I can't remember much about it. Um, but that that's what happened. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this question so many times, you're probably sick of answering it, but I have to ask you, why do you want to Well, when I, I mentioned in National Service, I got shot in the back. I've got a big cut, about six or seven inches, across where they had to go in and get the bullet out. And it was a 303. And instead... The bullet was 303? No, the bullet was 303 rifle, so it was big. You used to nearly break your shoulder when you fired the, the recoil. And they gave you these, what should have been blank cartridges, that opened out and blew out cardboard. And when they came out, this was defective ammunition. And um, a fellow called Harry Herbert, who was a fullback at Geelong at the time, later become a copper, he shot me in the back. And Harry fainted. And a fellow ran to me and put his knee on me, because the blood was going sh 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 out, out of my back. Anyway, I had six or seven weeks with a lab at the hospital recuperating. That's how I've missed that year of training with Richmond. And that's when I ended up at Loch. And they called that the slug. And they used to bring out a, a paper, you know, a National Service paper for Laverman. And they, I got christened the slug there, you know. You know who christened it? Oh, I have got a clue, I mean, gee. Nah, I have got a clue. Did you ever speak to Harry again? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Was it a train drill? Well, we're out doing mock manoeuvres, you know. And the, I mean, where it is at Lavender now, yeah. they're all trees and paddocks. And we used to, you know, you get out there and you hide behind trees and everything like that. And Harry came past and I blew one of his feet, which they said, blow him into the ground or blow him in the right. air. Yeah. So I blew one of his feet and dirt went everywhere, I thought. And Harry pooped himself and I pissed off. 
thought, geez, this is no good. Harry turned around and fired at me. But instead of it coming out of blank cardboard, it came out as what they call a slug. It hit me in the back. Now, hit the rib and run around the rib. If it had have gone in between the rib, you know, I mean, a lot of people today would have been really happy about it. I would have been dead, but bad luck. Did you find that it inhibited your coaching? No, never. I never had a. I never had a problem. Well, I, no. We went in for a court case about it all. Court, and we, and the sergeant said, "Look, can you help me out? I'm, this is my life, you know." And everything. Sure, Harry and I said, "Well," so that we disobeyed orders and didn't marry to her. When we got in there, into the court martial, we looked like down to Leavenworth for a couple of years. So we rehashed our evidence on a Bible and uh, said the fellow hadn't seen it to us. And he, got, he went over the hill, all the armour, that's right, he gave out the... the uh, the defective ammunition, he went over the hill. Yeah. Anyway, but today you would have heard a lot about nobody, even my mates never heard about it, you know, and the Air Force had said to my mother and father, don't say a word, so they never said a word. So no one knew about it. But it's such a wonderful nickname. Yeah, yeah, it's such yeah. a wonderful nickname. So. A lot of people connected it over the years to my appendix, but it wasn't. <laughs> It might have got me a bit of success somewhere along the line, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's a better one say that oh, I've got a big dick rather than say I've got shot in national service. <laughs> you coached Richmond to the under 19s to the 67, 68, 69, 70, yeah, and then 73, and then North Melbourne came at me. So there's there's five years, yeah. five, pre five premierships as yeah. the other 90s coach. Yeah. More than what Tommy Hafey coached for the seniors. So what made you a successful coach? Why were you so successful? Oh, you'd have to ask Barassi about that. I mean, I had 14 years with Barassi, and I went over there in 74. Barassi was after. Yeah, it was, but so, I still had the same. I gave the second and thirds over at North yeah. and used the same. As Miguel had said, I, they made me coach at the second and thirds because I yelled and screamed like Brassy. So that by the time the players got up there, they were used to this yelling and screaming. Right, right. But you couldn't, as someone said to me, a year or so ago, my style wouldn't have been accepted today because they sanitised the game so much. And I think, oh well, that's a sign of time. 30 years ago, so. It's extraordinary, it's extraordinary to coach all straight premierships like you did. So. Well, I went over and saw uh, Norm Smith about it. And uh, on the, after the second, because he'd had so much success with Melbourne. Yeah. Thought, uh, I mean, I need, and Graham had teed it up. He was a big rapper, Norm, Norm Smith. That's right. And Len Smith was coach before Tommy. So I had an in there, so I thought, oh, well. So I went over to see him at Pasco Vale, and he'd give me more, oh, a couple of hours, you know. It was, I don't know what I got out of it. All I wanted to know was, and I can still remember it now, I wanted to know whether I was on the right track, you know, in keeping. And he verified that, yeah, don't change now, you know, third premier. We won the third, and then I went to see him before the fourth. And I, he reassured me again, so we went there, and then I, then I went to India and South Africa. Um, so what's the best piece of advice you would give? Is it one great piece of advice you give? 
Well, I learned it. I learned it. I learned it. I mean, I learned the difference between Tommy Avery and Ron Brassy was chalk and cheese. Yet they've had got the same record. I mean, Tommy went to different clubs and should have won other flags. Brassy went to different clubs and won the flags, but has no success at Melbourne when he came back. But I thought it's got to be a little bit more to this coaching. So I, they gave me, they gave me a, oh, they gave me a contract for 10 years at North, 5,000 a year, and, and that was good money in those days. And a car, and I did the country recruiting, metropolitan recruiting, and everything like that. And um, I, and I found that Brassy was so into skill, he just taught it religiously. You know, I mean, hey, it was how you tied your shoelaces so that you tied them on the inside rather than the outside so it could affect the kick. You know, just little things like that. He gave a, he sent the players away, I can't remember the year sent the players away, come back with little things about football that nobody thought about or taught or anything like that. And I'm not too sure whoever it was, but it was a good player, came back with 20 different things. And everyone thought, God, that's fantastic. Oh, finished up 50 or 60 in the end. I mean, it just, just, accumulated with different people saying, what about this and what about that? And what about your hands up on the mark? Different things about football. Stand on this side if the ball's coming in that way and he'll get first, you know, all these type of things. And I learned so much that I learned so much. Were you like a farmer to get the other um, whilst they were with me, yeah, I used to ring up and say, listen, you're going to have to pull your finger out of here or you're going to have to. But after that, after they went on, I mean, like your old man, I never ever rang and said, look, uh, all the best today. And look, I just thought that was wax for all that. I mean, I really did. I thought, that's trying to keep your, your name going with this fellow, you know what I mean? He's never going to think of you. He might think of you again, but he's not going to. It's never, and I had guys like, say, Greg Ely, went to Melbourne captain, or Steve McCann played in premiership for North, or when I went to Essendon, uh, Mark McCurry and Massetti and these guys, but... I never ever rang them, you know, in their first game and said, uh, congratulations. Uh, and after I'd say congratulations, I thought, what the bloody hell do you say after that? You say, remember when? And they say, oh, who's this wanker on the end of the phone, you know? So I, I never ever started and I never thought, well, that's, that's all right. How did Ray Jordan handle when? Quite oh, badly. Badly. I used to say, when you won the beer, it tasted like champagne. When you lost, it tasted like kerosene. I mean, it affected my whole week. Yeah. Yeah, and did it give you extra interest for the next Oh, I used to start Monday thinking about next Saturday's game. Yeah. I mean, but you could, you could do that. Oh, oh, you could do it now, but I don't. Yeah, you could, you'd do it now because they train five days a week. and So, I mean, you only train a couple of nights. I mean, Richmond trained three nights a week on the Wednesday. They used to do come down, train for certain sprints. Your dad would tell you that. And... They used to 
people used to think they were stupid, but now they train five nights to have a wait session or a recuperation. I mean, it's come along in leaps and bounds. People that don't like today's game, I'm sure people that are 40 or 50 or there don't know the effort that the guys put in. I'm, I'm pretty sure they, if they sat down and realised just the amount of effort and thought and pressure that these guys go through, they'd have a more, more realistic... Some of those guys on television that bag the game forget that when they play, it, it involved differently then. You know, like Brassy with the handball or Tommy with the long kick or all these, you know, it involved differently. And people that bag the game, it's involving, I mean, in five years' time, it'll probably be different again. And so, what do we do? Do we stop going to football because we don't like it? And young people now are brought up on today's game. And in 10 years' time, they'll be following the game and thinking us old codgers are mad for saying it's a prick of a game. I mean, it just staggers me, that. It's like cricket. I mean, we went over to England. We went over to England and made reverse swing. Well, Alan Connolly used to reverse swing in the 1960s. I used to stand up to Connolly and he reverse swing. He found out that I'm going down the offside and the ball's going down the leg side. Hey, time out, El Pelby. What's going on? Oh, I thought I'd try that, I'd do that. Well, bloody well, let me know. And so he'd come in with his reverse wing and I'd see his hand, you know, and you'd say, oh, this is reverse wing. And so when it pitched middle, it went down the leg side. When it was like that, or you knew it was going to be an outswing, you'd stay where you were. I mean, everything, everything's changed. You've got to adapt. So, that's, that's my philosophy on football. Really. Yeah. yeah, I probably used it where other people wouldn't use it, but in, there were no words that I found that were applicable to what today, you know, I mean, what kids in the street or what kids... I mean, I get on buses today. I'm not joking. I travel by bus and dream a lot. And I, and because of the mobile phone, I hear girls that are coming from very well-to-do colleges get on the tram, they're talking to their girlfriend, ah, oh, fuck him, I told him, fuck off you. So I'm thinking... Shit, the whole tram can work. So I think to myself, oh, well. Here's a question you probably I was told probably 30 years before my time. <laughs> Here's a question you may have never been asked. What was your favourite expletive to use, right? What was your most enjoyable, colourful language phrase you like to use? Jesus, kid. You play it. You look like bloody Tarzan. You play like bloody Jane. I used to use that a hell of a lot. Did you ever, did you ever get approached by parents at under 19 saying, look, I, 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 you know, I'm... No, not under 19, thing. but in the under 18, over uh, the last 10 years, yeah. Yeah. Well, they were, they were concerned about how strong you were, Adam, you know, that... I used to think, well... If you can't discipline your people, don't give them either discipline. I mean, and the, and the school teachers in today's football aren't around to discipline people. They're not allowed to do it now. They're not allowed to strap them, talk badly to them, swear at them. I mean, they just get taken to court so quickly. So that's my philosophy on it all. But I must admit, that swearing 
was right up there with me. There's no doubt about that. But I found that for me to be world champion, I'd have to beat a few. <laughs> There's a few going for the title. <laughs> Do you, do you feel that, this is my personal opinion, I feel that maybe your contribution to Richmond has always been not recognised as much as it should. Do you feel that? I mean, well, you have received a lot of No, yeah, I am. Yeah, Mel Brown got, when he was involved at Richmond, he put him very hard, and I'm, I've got to thank Mel Brown for being a life member. I... Get my two tickets. I've got a grandson who goes and he's mad. He rings up my wife, Marie, and says, Man, are we going to football this weekend? And then might have 30 things on, but she'll drop them all, take him. And he comes to the football with us. He can play. Can play. Do you think you've been recognised enough? Uh, oh, yeah, look. Yeah. I. Yes, I, I, I take a lot of the plaudits with a grain of salt. I really do. You, I mean, if you sat down to work out who was genuine and who was not genuine, you'd finish up in the rat house. No, you would. I mean, how do you, how do you work out, gee whiz, you were terrific, you know? Or they go away and say he's a prick of a fella. I mean, where do you, where do you, uh, look, I take it with a grain of salt, all that stuff. Because so many, so many kids, so many kids. Yeah. So what do you think from a Richmond point of view, who's the most naturally gifted youngster you've seen? You've coached them, sorry. Most mm. naturally yeah. gifted youngster. Yeah, he is. Mm. Given the... Well, I, I would put it along the lines of ability, pace, strength, brain power, dedication. So there's about five or six different elements that I would need to find a particular guy. I not about a Richmond guy. I mean, your old man didn't like weights and he went wrestling nearly every day, you know, and that's enormous dedication. He was quick, he knew the bloody game, he was born and bred in Richmond, or Richmond soul. I mean... Who do you think was the best player that you could coach? That coach after Richmond. Yeah, I know, yeah, said that. Oh, so yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, I would think, putting them all together, you know, I mean, um, your old man, because of longevity and because he was born and bred and he had played with soul and he was in a great era, and Emmett Dunn, because of his had great character and uh, he's gone on to prove that, you know, with the police force and six feet. He, I know the work he put in. That 73, I'll harken back to this, 73 we played a practice game. The seconds were by far certainties, right? We didn't know. And Emmett hurt his ankle in this practice game on me because we both won second semis. So we played a practice game at Hunt Road and Emmett heard his So we took him off straight away and we weren't too sure whether he'd be right for the grand final. And the seconds needed to hit out. So I, that was where I started to sneak different guys on over the other side of the ground. And, and they were saying, oh, geez, that under 19s, they're good. They tackle everywhere and they're accurate. But we, you know, we had 20 players on or 21 players on compared to their 18. And <laughs> you, you could mix them up and they didn't know where they were coming from. 
And I used to do that with brass up at the brass called the head count one day. And Crackers was, Crackers Keenan was with me. We had to run guys over, but we got caught. We were too many and brass went mad. So that was okay just to play the final? Yeah, he got through. He got through. I don't know where he did have to ask him. But his character and his smartness and his willingness and his to work and everything was just I mean I'm not saying Hart or Michael Green or these guys Walsh or Cumming and Pearden and, oh Graham Bond was another quick and he, he used to put the ball down with his left hand right foot kick and we saw him out at Graham and I saw him out at Burwood on Morrigal Road there was a little ground there and I got the I got the mail about a kid named Gordon Fluck. Gordon Fluck. And Graham said to me, Jesus, he said, How will we know who he is? I said, I don't think you'll have any problem finding Graham. And we got there and they yelled out, Go Flucky, go Flucky And I said, I don't think we have to wait. and this bloody guy was oh God, he was lightning. But he used to put the ball down with his right hand. So we got a fella called Icy Hamilton from he played Carlton in beautiful kick. And they put a net up over the MCG and and Icy used to take Graham over there to kick into the net, say, you know, go and get the ball and all that shit. And taught him to put the ball down right handed. But instead of putting it down there, he put it down the top of his thing and he he still had an awkward style, but at least he kicked right. Graham said, Gee, we're going to have to... He said, We're going to have to get him... We're going to have to get him to kick properly because he's going to do himself an injury. He said... And I thought... Oh, it took me a minute or so to work out what Graham was talking about, but... Anyway. Gordon Flack. Gordon Flack. Isn't it? Gordon Flack. No one would ever know. Was there anything that you didn't achieve as a player or a coach that you would like to achieve? Talking about football now, yeah, of course, I Nah. Oh, I'm quite happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, a lot of people ask me whether I did you miss coaching the seniors, and I think, yeah, uh, how many guys have coached senior football and you never heard of them again? when they get sacked. So I had longevity in the game from 62 to uh, in the 80s, you know, when I went to Winston. So I, I was quite happy about all that. I made a living out of football. It was my life. But not many people get to do things with their life um, from a satisfaction of it job or your sport or whatever, not many people, I used to get up in the morning and go to do footy clinics and uh, it was just fantastic, you know, I mean, I just, I can't think of anything that I would have liked to have done different, no, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it any different, I, no, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would now, when I'm 70, I would say probably you would, but then I've said that to different people and they said, hey, Slug, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been what you, wouldn't have done it naturally if you hadn't wanted to do it another way. I said, you, they used to say, no, you did it naturally, so no one ever questioned you, you know, in those days. They would today. You seem to have such a great passion about the game and about coaching yeah. and about fostering kids and, you know, instilling in them sort of a sense of strength and also discipline. I've got more passion about football than cricket. More, much more passion. I mean, I wouldn't even go and watch a test match, a shield game or anything in the last 10 years. So what makes football such a glorious sport? Uh, just... 
red it's in, if it's in your blood, you can't get it out, you know. I mean, since I had my stroke, I've had enough blood tests, you know, withdrawal of blood. So I should have been, you know, no football in it, but it's uh, just... I mean, I, these two months, these two months, I still coach under 15 then at Sandringham under 18. And for me to get down there in Caulfield, I had to go by bus, tram, tram, tram. So, you don't do those. I mean, I have, I've lost a fire on the belly, though, I must admit. I mean, I look forward to going down there, but when I'm three passes away, I think, oh, thank Christ, I don't have to go back for another week. But I've lost all that power on the belly. You can't have it all your life. One final question. Mm -hmm. Can you sum up the life of Ray Jordan in seconds? Oh, it's sportsman. Sportsman. Man. Sportsman and satisfied with it. But that's that's not one word, is it? No, but that's a good enough.